Building Better Businesses with Catalyst Consulting is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Spokane, presented by Delicious Hamburgers. Welcome to Building Better Businesses. I'm Kristen Dees, founder of Catalyst Consulting, an agency that helps small businesses and entrepreneurs start, grow, and level up their businesses. This podcast will bring you interviews with experts in all things business-related. Have questions for a business attorney? We've got answers. How about your health insurance? Got you covered there too. New episodes coming your way every week. Find us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Welcome to this episode of Building Better Businesses with Catalyst Consulting. Uh, My guest today is Jason McCarty, who is a body language expert. And we met kind of randomly. This is just one of those ways that the the internet is uh, makes it a smaller world than it used to be. Uh, I was a guest on a Talking Toastmasters podcast with a friend of mine, Angela Nuss, and Jason heard me on there and reached out and was like, hey, I think what you're doing is pretty cool. And then we, ch- we chatted for a while. I was like, I think what you do is pretty cool too. You should be on my podcast. So uh, yeah, so that's how we met briefly. I guess it's been a couple of weeks now or something like that. But yeah. Um, yeah, so thanks for being here. Thanks for joining me. Oh, no, it's my pleasure. I, I'm really looking forward to it. This will be my first podcast. So uh, I love public speaking and to do it on this kind of format is new for me. And that's exciting. Nice. It'll be a fun little adventure. Um, I've actually been a few people's first podcast. Which okay. has been, I'm just like, hey, yeah, so it's been, <laughs> it's been good. I try to keep it casual, uh, conversational, not too formal. So it makes it a little bit easier. Well, I think it, so, you've been doing a really great job with it. I really have to say, I, I don't want to miss one of them. It's um, You've done a really, really great job with it. So Oh, whatever. thanks. <laughs> That's always nice to hear. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, am I just doing this and no one, you know, no one's listening? It's fine. I mean, people listen, so it's true, but okay. Cool. So um, yeah, let's hop right in. So tell us a little bit about you, the human being. Who Who is Jason McCarty? Yeah, you know, um, I'd have to say that, you know, without me, I, I have a good support system with my family. I met my wife in 1990 and um, I have two boys with her. They're both in high school and together, you know, we've just done really, really well. I've, uh, I don't think I was one that was my family really thought I was going to amount to what I have today. So <laughs> I've always had that chip on my shoulder. I've always just fought and scraped and, you know, if somebody says I couldn't do it, I, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and now even I, you know, when I'm setting my own goals, I might look at it and say, wow, that's a really lofty goal, but I want to even, you know, do well in spite of myself and, you know, and really accomplish those things. So I'd have to say that, you know, I'm really quite a battler. That's good. Yeah. I like to do that too. I'm like, oh, you want to tell me I can't do it? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll show you, buddy. Um, yeah, it's good. Sometimes the motivation comes from places that maybe aren't quite so healthy, but it still it still produces good results usually. So, well, uh, and what? Not everybody's that way either, because you know, I yeah, coach like baseball and some kids, and I'm like, oh, there's no way you could, you know, there's no way you could hit this kid, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know, some of them are like, oh, why don't you think I can do it? I'm like, no, I want you to rise to it, you know, prove me wrong. You know? Yeah, yeah, show me, show me you can do it. Um, Cool. Yeah. And you're over on the East Coast. Do you say it was in New Hampshire? Yeah, I live in New Hampshire. I live about 40 minutes out of Boston. If I leave at nine o'clock in the morning, anyways, I'm 40. <laughs> if I leave at six in the morning, I'm probably going to show up around 830. But... Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um. So yeah, tell us a fun fact about yourself. Yeah. So fun fact about myself was I was um, tongue tied. I um, 
my parent, my mom had me when she was like 16 years old. And um, later on, when my dad remarried, he was remarried a school teacher. And she took a couple of weeks to tell my dad, but he's like, I have no idea what Jason is talking about right now. And I think he's tongue tied. You ought to take him to the doctor. And, you know, this is the seventies and I went to see a doctor and I can remember it as if it was yesterday, the doctor peeked into my mouth and turned around and grabbed a pair of scissors. I think he used alcohol on them and told me open wide and he went in and he snipped. And um, from there I have the the speech that you hear today. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, yeah. that's so crazy. And there's a lot Oof. of words too. I still, I stay away from just because I know I can't, I can't get them right. You know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's a fun fact that little people know about me. Yeah. Well, now you do public speaking and stuff. So good for you. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty intense. Yeah. The doctors back in the day, it's kind of interesting. It's like, I'm just going to take care of this right now. And you're like, isn't there like a procedure for that? Or <laughs> nope. Just go for it. Um, I know it's crazy. That's crazy. Uh, so how do you provide support for business owners and entrepreneurs? Yeah, I really just like having conversations about body language. Um, you know, to give you an example of what I've done is recently I talked in front of the New Hampshire independent um, or insurance marketing agents, New Hampshire insurance marketing agents. And in there were a lot of guys like myself. I, you know, my day job is um, calling on insurance agents. So it was a lot of people that might work for, you know, an insurance carrier, say like um, progressive. I don't know if they're in the room or not, but somebody like that. And they go door to door, you know, working with insurance agents. So I taught them some of my tricks that I've used as far as body, uh, body language and also some of the, the sales techniques that I use. And it, mm -hmm. um, but sometimes it's on a smaller scale. Somebody that's, you know, a young insurance agent or whatever, and I'll sit and have lunch with them and discuss it as well. Because you um, generally are using it and teaching it in a way that helps people with sales, correct? That's kind of how it happened exactly i was uh recruited by walmart out of college and i wanted to be a sales guy and my uncle was a sales guy and my father-in-law who was right there was just my girlfriend's father was a salesperson my aunt was a salesperson i really wanted to get into it and when i did get my big break some of these techniques you know took me years to develop and uh, the body language thing didn't come across until about 14 years ago and so you know it just, if I could spread on the knowledge so that somebody could jump their, jumpstart their career so much faster, then, you know, I'm happy to help. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So yeah, tell us a little bit more then about your background and the, the journey of how you got to here and doing this from the beginning. <laughs> so I got my first sales job in 2000 and um, I was working for a guy named Ralph and it was 100% commission. So Ralph didn't get paid unless I sold anything and I didn't get paid until unless I sold something. So that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah, there's no better way to learn how to sell than to learn that you're not going to eat unless you sell. So uh, Ralph was very, he was great. Um, and just taught me a lot of little things. Um, one of them, you know, was, um, and this is probably the first thing I learned in body language. And the first tip was I play guitar. My fingernails are usually pretty low because I, that's the way I prefer them, but I don't know what they look like today. I was working in the garden over the weekend. Maybe they might have dirt under them. I don't know. So one of the things that Ralph had taught me was to point with a pen instead of my finger. So as I'm going over a document or if I'm going over something on a computer, I'm going to point with a pen, preferably a nice pen so that the, that's what the client remembers is the pen and not my dirty fingernails or or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not caught off guard on that. 
another thing that Ralph had taught me was not talking over the silence. And this was really big because, you know, a lot of people, including myself, will just start to nervous talk. And what Ralph has taught me was that, you know, you present out the options and preferably what you want to do is show more than one option. And so, you know, you can take the 12 pack or the 24 pack. And as the, your customer is sitting there and they're looking at their two options, they're sitting there thinking. And honestly, Ralph was pretty firm with me. An idiot talks over that moment. You got to just stay silent. And I learned over the years to just really enjoy that silence, enjoy that awkwardness of, you know, who's going to talk first. And then, you know, there does come a point where it's starting to get a little awkward and you say, you know, I recommend the 12 pack or, you know what I mean? Or, or is 12 pack good or is that too little? And then they go, oh, no, I was actually I was actually thinking maybe 36. So just coming in there and su suggesting something like that um, was a is, was a big trick that he taught me and one I still use. Mm -hmm. And then from there, how did you get to like doing body language coaching and like that kind of stuff? Yeah, so um, into the coaching was um, I had um, I was working for a toy company and I I got in an argument over chicken feet. So what had happened was we were over in mainland China, I toured two, um, two factories and they were showing me product that Mattel and other companies had turned down. And we went to eat at this um, fancy hotel in mainland China. We walked right by a place that said California bar and grill. My eyes had lit up and like, Oh, we're gonna, I'm going to get a burger or a steak. And we walked right by that place. And we went into a Chinese food restaurant. And um, if you can picture this with me, there was a round table and at north, south, east, and west was a little white bowl. And at north was these chicken feet. And the chicken feet, I had been warned about them. I told that they weren't that bad, but these looked nasty. They were white and they had the great big claw hanging over Ugh. them. And um, at south was a white bowl of peanuts. And there was a t flat screen TV. There's about seven or eight of us around this table and there's a flat screen TV and they're speaking Chinese, but it's news. I can kind of follow it. And I'd watch the TV and then turn to my white bowl of peanuts. And instead somebody had spun the dumb waiter around to the chicken feet. And after three or four times of this, I finally looked up and I said, you know, the, look at who was messing with me. And it was a guy on the board of directors. And he said, Jason, eat the chicken feet. And I go, absolutely not. I had, um, build up a lot of confidence with this job. Uh, they were not in Walmart when I when I took over as a national sales manager of this toy company. I got them in the Walmart. At the time, Kmart, um, I got them in the Kmart Target. QVC was a huge customer of ours. Uh, Amazon, I got them into all these places and they wouldn't even have been able to afford my trip to China in my mind if I hadn't done all that. So I argued and said, no, I'm not eating the chicken feet. I can't understand why we walked right by California Bar and Grill to have this argument about chicken feet. So I got home and I called my um, father-in-law and he was in his eighties and uh, he, he had a cell phone that he couldn't figure out how to use. And he pulled out of the driveway one day and I'm like, I told my wife, I go, I have no idea what he does for work, but I'm pretty sure I can do it. So I got a job interview and, and, um, and what I do is I do premium financing and I work with insurance agents. So if a business can't pay their insurance, my company will pay it for them, but I never meet with the insured. I never meet with the guy that owns the truck, um, the truck or the, the car wrecker or whatever. Uh, the insurance agent does that. I just give them a platform. So most of my time, I spend my day 
cold calling insurance agents. It's about 70% of it is going door to door, uh, knocking on insurance agents' doors, and then another 30% is with the retention. And I've, because of my days with Ralph, I've always been pretty good at cold calling, but I suddenly um, got into a really, really bad slump. And I wanted to, I wanted to pitch the people that I was with. I wanted them to give my company a try. And I just kept getting these no's. And I just didn't know what I was doing wrong. And I've always been fascinated with body language. So I picked up this book, um, uh, uh, The Definitive Book of Body Language by Alan and Barbara Pease. And that book changed my life. And what I had learned, what I was doing wrong was on my cold call, as I was going in and I was meeting with the decision maker, my feet were pointed towards the door. And this is usually something in, purpose, in person I can demonstrate, but for the purpose of radio, if you can picture that waitress that's running by your table and they've got, you know, they got a handful of food or, and they're heading towards the kitchen, but their body's heading away from you and they just stop and go, do you know what you want? And their, her feet are pointed away from you and she's not giving you full attention. Well, sure enough, what I had done was I was so, you know, worried that I was bothering people on these cold calls that my feet were pointed towards the door. So just like that waitress, I was like, hey, you want to give us a try? But meanwhile, I'm, my body's halfway out the door. Reading that chapter on feet um, just really, really had, had started off um, just the whole thing. And, and just by doing that simple move, move motion on feet, um, it made a big difference. And then from there, I, I just had to study and, and learn as much about it as I possibly could. Nice. So then when it comes to sales or pitching a proposal to potential clients, what are some tips and tricks you recommend for people to use? Yeah. So one of the things my father-in-law had taught me was uh, when I was working for Ralph was cold calling. He, I came home after a frustrating day and told him about it. And he goes, oh, he goes, you're trying to marry the girl on the first date. Cold calling is like dating. He goes, if you get a girl's name and, you know, you got her name and you got her phone number, well, that's that's like first base. That's the first step. And he goes, you got to think of cold calling as the same way. If you can make your introduction to that business, get their name, maybe get a follow-up appointment, then you've done really well. You've accomplished your, jo your job. And he had said, you got two of those. That gave you an appointment for later on. So that was a pretty good day for you. Um, the other thing that... I've learned over the years is to know your client and it's really easy to do these days with LinkedIn or um, you do a lot of stuff with social media. So, you, you know, Kristen, you know that a lot of businesses will put a lot of information about them themselves, the owner. So I do a lot of research on trying to get to know that person before making that actual call. I saw a, um, a job posting recently for somebody in sales and they said that they expected their sales guy to make a hundred calls a day. Um, I don't think that's very productive at all. I, I think really, you know, doing the research so that you know the person's name. So when you do get that person on the phone, it's actually a, a, a better sales call than um, just picking up the phone and calling random numbers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. That makes sense. Um, so then from there, how do they kind of deal with like getting in the door or maybe like a difficult gatekeeper? Yeah. So one thing is, you know, you're taking very good notes. So getting into the door with a very um, difficult gatekeeper, um, I will actually make a note that gatekeeper was very tough or receptionist was very tough. I will try to get her name. If I can't, don't have her name, I will write down, 
you know, maybe she had some loud glasses, some loud red glasses, or, you know, some kind of distinct feature about her that I can remember. And then when I go in in person to see that person, I will go up to that receptionist and go, hey, Barbara, how are you doing today? You were so nice to me the last time you were in, uh, last time I was in. So here's a Starbucks card. I really appreciate you being so nice. And um, by the way, is Tommy in? And it works almost every single time because <laughs> they, they're like, oh, I was nice to him before. So I'm going to be nice for him again. And if he knows Tommy that well, then yeah, I'll go ahead and ask for Tommy. Um, and it works a lot of the same way on the phone as you do your research and you find out the person's a golfer or maybe they coach baseball or something. I like, if I'm going to do telemarketing, I like to do it on a Friday. And especially like on a Friday afternoon, I'll call and I'll say, hey, is Tommy in or is he out coaching baseball already? Oh, no, he's still here. And I get right through. So that's, you know, that's a really good trip to, to do on it. Um, also, when it comes to being in person, if you can mirror that person. Um, and this is a fun game that, you know, I was doing sales for so long. I needed something to kind of kick it up a little bit. And mirroring the person really has become fun. So if that person's leaning in, I might lean in. If they're leaning back in a chair and being all casual with their knees spread apart, I might do the same thing, looking real casual. If they turn their angle to one way, I pretend it's a mirror and I will turn my chair so that that angle is, is the same angle. And when you're doing the mirroring, what happens is, is they, they are seeing an image of themselves, so to speak. So they start to feel real comfortable. And um, doing a simple little mirroring trick is a good one to, you know, to build rapport. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So when you, once you get through to, you know, Tommy, if he's not too busy golfing or coaching, um, <laughs> What do you, what kind of preparation do you do before you talk to the person like in person, like when you actually get that call? Yeah. You know, for me, and I don't think it's different for many businesses, you got to change it a little bit, but I can remember before I made my first sales call with this job, I was in a hotel in Burlington, Vermont and, um, all right, I'm going to go make this call. It's right across the street. What are the first, what am I going to say? And I really, I took about 20 to 30 minutes to really figure it out. And it's the same thing I use today. And you can use it with many different products. The first thing is that I will walk in and I will ask a question that's going to be a yes. All right. So if I'm calling on an insurance agent, I might ask, do you write commercial insurance? I already know they do. Do you write commercial insurance? Yes, we do. Um, and then I'll say, do you finance it? Yeah, I do. And I'll say, who do you use? And then they'll list a competitor of mine and I'll say, are you happy with them? And from there, that's when the discussion takes place. Are you happy with them? And sometimes they'll go, well, yeah, I've been with them for a long time, but they let me down on this one or they let me down on that one. I know my competition really, really well. So I will exploit what we do better than them. You never want to bash your competitor, but you do want to say the features that you offer that they don't offer. So, you know, that's an insurance thing, but, you know, you could do it, you know, you can do it with radio control cars. Like I sold it for the toy company. You could walk into a toy store. Um, hey, I know you got toys. You selling radio control cars. Yes, I do. Oh, um, do they sell well? Do, is it a good category for you? Well, yes, it is. Um, are you happy with the current toys you got or would you like to see more? Well, what do you got? And then, you know, when I sold the toys, I would take out a car, which I had already tested, had batteries in and let them do the demonstration of the car and have it roll. So you can really do that with any kind of product. It's really just comes down to, you know, do you do it? Are you happy? And then giving me a try. 
a lot of times um, over the years, I've gotten a lot of calls from sales reps and they'll say, I can't close this one. They, they just won't let me close. And, you know, they won't give me the appointment. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing your boss can do. Um, that's going to change that. All you can do is just really keep at it. Okay. Um, so then when you're, when you're in the meeting, um, if, I mean, in the days of in-person meetings, but when you're in a meeting room, how do you know, is there like some sort of strategy to where you sit in the office or the, the boardroom? How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So what you want to do is when you go into the boardroom, um, you know, we can talk a little bit too, a little later on about barriers, but you know, everybody's barriers that they know is the arms crossed, right? That's just basic and simple arms crossed. They're being closed up defensive. They're hugging themselves to make themselves feel comfortable. So picture the desk or, you know, we can say if you're in an office setting, it's the desk, or if you're in the boardroom, that boardroom there, that desk is the barrier. That's them with their arms crossed. And we want to get their arms uncrossed. And in this case, we want to get rid of the desk. So a lot of stuff I do is on a website. And what my goal is, if I have that barrier in front of us, is I want to get in the office situation, I want to come around to their side of the desk and I want them to log on to our website. Um, I think of you, Kristen, when you're so, showing social media. You want, when you're selling the social media or teaching somebody on social media, what you want to do is you'd want to come around, have them show you their Facebook page and so that you're now side by side. And the goal of this is, is that if you and I, Kristen, have a, a chessboard in front of us here, or let's say checkers, checkerboard in front of us, um, you're instantly opponent. I am playing against you in this game of checkers. Now, if you and I, Kristen, were on the same team and we're playing two by two, you would be next to me, taking turns on that on that on that checkerboard, taking turns. So now we're working as a teammate. And when you're in the boardroom, when you're in the office, you want to get side by side so that you're solving a solution together because that's what we all want to do is solve somebody's problems. So on the desk, you want to see, hey, look, I'd like to show you the website or can you bring up your social media page, come around to their side of the desk. In the boardroom now, it's a little bit trickier because you have the head of the table. And on the head of the table, hopefully they will pick that. But, and there's a lot of rules out there. Some people say you should never sit at the head of the table. If they don't sit there and they sit on that corner, I'm going to have to take the head of the table. And here is where the first dance comes into play. Um, what I might do is I have a, a laptop with a wireless hotspot. I'll have that laptop fired up and I will position that laptop in a position where they can kind of tell that I want to show them something on it. If it's not the laptop, I might have a brochure or a giveaway or something and I'll place that in a position where it's kind of obvious we're going to talk about this. And as I go to sit down in the chair, I'm going to move that chair a little bit short, a little bit closer. You can't be obvious about it, but a little bit closer to their side of the table where I'm eliminating the table. And as it goes on, eventually, and eventually as it goes on, I will slowly become, so I'm sitting next to them and then we're looking either at the documentary and say, sending them or the computer and sharing this. And then we start talking about their problems and I'm showing them solutions like they're a teammate instead of an opponent. Okay. 
That makes sense. So um, we talked a little bit about the different ways body language affects your perception of other people. How about how your own body language affects your perception of yourself? Yeah, that's where, you know, it goes so much further than the feet. Um, Taking, for example, facial hair, for example, um, if you think of any villain in a movie or a bad guy, they usually have a goatee, right? So you don't want to wear a goatee as you're already starting off as somebody that is, um, you know, is a bad guy. So, you know, if you if you have facial hair, I get away from that. Um, I had a beard up until recently and people... It was funny. My coworkers that know me really well thought I, I looked like I was more knowledgeable or, or, or friendly or, you know, all knowing. Um, but, you know, when I take it off, I look younger and, and more energetic. So, you know, you just kind of think of those things when you're doing your face. Also, um, you know, be a good listener. Um, one of my favorite tricks is to keep nodding your head. So as you're talking to your, your prospect or your client, just keep nodding yes. And you'll notice it if you um, watch tonight's news and the weather person, or not weather person, but the sportscaster is talking to the basketball player. And, you know, they always ask the same thing, right? Well, what do you think you need to do in the second half of the game or whatever? And there's some lame answer they give back. But that reporter is just begging that athlete to keep on talking. And you'll see that that reporter will keep nodding their head up and down nodding their head up and down, keep talking, keep talking. Think about when you go to a restaurant and you order food and they keep nodding their head and you keep adding on appetizers or something. So if you keep nodding your head, you will keep that person engaged and they'll keep talking. And the more that people like talking about them are talking, they're talking about themselves and they feel better about you because they're feeling good about themselves right now. And Kristen, you've let me talk so much today. I, um, I feel really good about myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah, that's good. That's what I was going for. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So what are some of those, those clues they might be giving you? Yeah. You know, if their feet are pointed towards the door or, you know, um, trying to think a little bit here, but you know, the way they're sitting or the way their their mannerisms, if you can start to read that, well, their feet are uncomfortable. They're looking at their watch. They're asking, how long is this meeting? Um, they're giving clues that your timing is just really, really bad. And the worst thing you could do at that moment is to pitch them a product. All right. Right now, you might want to just, you know, say, hey, I wanted to keep in touch. But um, my biggest experience was when I was working for Ralph and, um, he had told me that this would happen, that you will have a meeting one day and they don't want any part of it. And I had this um, client that was a very good client in, in uh, Salem, Massachusetts. And that's that's which, you know, for people that don't know, that's where the Salem witch trials happen. And I used to sell gargoyles and Halloween merchandise. And and I this client was really, really good. So I had saved up some really great stuff for her. And if she declined it, I'd sell it to another store. But I was kind of giving her the first right of refusal. I wasn't going to sell this to every single store in Salem, Mass. I was going to give her the, the, the good stuff. And so I start going through the products and I start showing the stuff I'm really excited to show her. And she's saying no on all of it. And I finally, I just said, hey, look, I... I think the timing's wrong here. I think that, you know, maybe we need to reschedule this. And she goes, could we, could we reschedule it? That would be amazing. I really, I had this happen and this happened. I really don't have time for this. We rescheduled that meeting for two weeks later and I got the order that I expected to get out of her. So, you know, read, read your client, 
today just might not be the day. So when you're talking to that person and you're kind of reading the room a little bit and feeling like maybe the vibe isn't there, um, what are some other things? Like, I'm assuming if their arms are crossed, um, what are some other things that you could kind of look for? Yeah, you know, the arms crossed is because we all know it. We think that that is obviously somebody's unhappy. And when I first started studying body language, um, you got to look for the check and balance, I call it, the check and the balance. It's just like in accounting, you know, one column needs to equal the other one. You can't go off of just that the arms are crossed, all right? And so I have a friend, Katie, up in Maine that I was meeting with, and she came into the room and her arms were crossed. And I, I've known Katie a long time. We're friends. I mean, we know about each other's kids and um, we know each other, not just in business, but as, you know, as friends do, we know about each other's personal life a bit. And her arms are crossed and I couldn't figure out why, but I wasn't getting another check and balance where I was making her feel uncomfortable or she didn't want to be there or had to be somewhere else. And eventually I just was pretty honest. I go, Katie, are you cold? And she goes, yeah, I'm freezing in here. I'm always cold. Well, of course she's cold. It's Maine in the wintertime. So <laughs> you have to look for the check and balance just because, you know, somebody is, you know, holding their arms or whatever doesn't mean they're, you know, they are cold. Another example of this, and this is one that I really like, is the face planting uh, or face planting. And now you might know face planting as I think it's changed over the years. It's now somebody putting their palm to their head and going, ah, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking more like framing their face for you. All right. And when somebody's framing their face, um, they'll usually like the, sometimes they'll put it up on like a pedestal. If you can picture somebody's head and they're sitting on a pedestal where they got their hands rested on their knuckles and their elbows on the sink, on the, not the sink, but on the counter there or the table. Um, that's a good sign for me. That means that they are interested. They're really liking what I'm having to say, but having their hands on their head can also be a sign of boredom. So I'm looking for another thing here. I'm looking for something else that is telling me that they're interested in it. Um, maybe it's, um, you know, a smile that they're going into or a question that they're asking about the product that's engaging with them. But usually if I can see them and they have their head framed in any kind of manner where they're displaying themselves, and this can happen with men or women, it's usually of the opposite sex. But um, if I can see that they're, they're doing that, usually at that point, I will go in and I will ask, hey, look, you know, you seem very interested. Uh, let's go ahead and get you set up. And and I call people on it if they seem very interested. I'll just say it at that point. Um, you seem interested. Let's go and do it. It's much like um, a lot of us have seen the movie Moneyball and Billy Bean has um, Jonah Hill in the office and he's making a trade and he says, you know, he gets the trade done and then he hangs up and Jonah Hill goes, why didn't you say goodbye? And he goes, oh, as soon as you get a yes, just hang up. Um, I think that's a little extreme, <laughs> but uh if um, I see somebody that's interested, that's usually when I'll go ahead, get them going on the initial paperwork to get them set up, and then I'll arrange for that training later on. I got to get that yes first. Well, and it makes sense to like in the less extreme version would be stop trying to sell once you have the yes, because I feel like that's where things often go sideways, too, is if you keep trying like you've got the yes, the person's going to buy whatever it is that you're selling. If you keep trying to <laughs> like that's it. it it um, trails off sometimes or it goes bad because you start talking about things that they were like not excited about again. So oh, yeah. that's good. No, yeah. And you're right. And, you know, I'm going to share this podcast with a lot of my own, um, you know, contacts. And um, one thing I'd like anybody that's listening to know is that, uh, you know, 
once I start the conversation, once I'm in the door, I usually don't do as much body language reading. The ones I do do, I'm reading to see if I'm taking up too much of your time and I need to go or, you know, I'm reading those kind of social clues. But to your point, Kristen, I get more nervous on a retention call than I do on a sales call because on a retention call, I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. I could say something that could blow it right now. They're really happy with me, but am I going to say something all wrong? So um, that's why I, I kind of like um, the cold calling and the prospecting a little bit better than even the retention stuff. Mm -hmm. That's too funny. Um, so let's talk a little bit about handshakes in pandemic times. Um, <laughs> what advice do you have for people when it comes to that? The introduction. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, COVID was actually in some ways it was perfect for me because I'm a, I'm a germaphobe and I never really like shaking people's hands to begin nice. with. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. You, I've heard that you've done trade shows. You know, you go to the trade shows and never, never failed. No matter how many times I washed my hands and did hand sanitizer, I always got a cold a week later. Um, so one of the tricks I was doing even before COVID was that um, instead of shaking somebody's hand, I will have, you know, if you're on the fly, it could be a business card. Um, what I really like to do though is a, a Starbucks card if it's somebody that I'm meeting for the first time and it can be as little as a $5 Starbucks card. My company is really generous and gives me $10 ones. But um, instead of that handshake, I'm still doing that motion of reaching forward as they reach out their hand and I give them that Starbucks card and I'll go, I really thank you for coming out and saying hi. I really value your time and I hope that you'll appreciate the next cup of coffee that you have on me. Um, it gives the sense of the handshake. And when I use the Starbucks card, what happens is it often diffuses the person. They came out ready to just kick me to the curb. And when I say, I really value your time, thank you so much, here's a Starbucks card. A lot of times from there, I'm actually invited to go into their boardroom or into the office where you know, we can start solving problems as a team. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another thing is when it comes to handshakes is that I, if we, if we ever do, you were mentioning um, well, a, a couple of weeks ago, you were mentioning how Utah has already gotten rid of masks or, you know, a lot of them have gotten rid of masks. Um, they might want a handshake as well. And if, you know, a year from now and we're getting back into handshakes and things are normal, you want to give a firm one. You don't want to give the, um, you don't want to give the dead fish. If you're a woman, you don't want to give that old fashioned handshake that, you know, your grandmother might do. You want to give the, the firm handshake with a firm grip. Um, nothing too hard that you're making a statement. Or, you know, they're going to comment, hey, wow, this is, you know, you just crushed my hand or <laughs> you don't want that. Nobody likes that. Um, the person that's doing it to you is trying to make an impression and it's usually the wrong one. Um, but the one that I like the best is I'll actually grab it and I'll take two hands and you have to be careful. You can't do this with somebody you just meet, but somebody that you're meeting maybe for the second time. Um, I try to show as much enthusiasm about getting with that person. I'll shake their hand and I'll, I'll, I'll shake it with two hands. And I might even go as far up as I'm um, putting that second hand on a wrist. Now, if you're using the, this technique for evil, so to speak, you might reach up to their, to their elbow. I don't think that that's a, a, an appropriate way to do it in business. You have to really be comfortable with that person to re go ahead and reach up and kind of grab their elbow with that second hand. But, um, you know, using the two hand handshake has always done really, really well for me. Okay. Um, and what about, uh, like, is there a face mask etiquette? Like, how do we, 
How do we have that conversation? Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, and it was it was Idaho, by the way, not Utah. Idaho, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, you're fine. Because I'm close to Idaho. So it's just a very different world over there. <laughs> well, you know, where I am, but you know, all those just like, you know, I can't even remember my sixth grade map. So, you know, they're all kind of in the same section of the country. But you know, yeah. the the face mask etiquette is um, you know, I think you have to assume that everybody wants you to have it. Um, you have to be careful. It's, you know, so you have to wear it. But when you and I were talking a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about a cold call I went on and I had my mask on and um, they had a mask on. And then he said, hey, look, I I actually just got vaccinated. Do you mind if I take my mask off? And I said, no, no. And and I could tell that he wanted to take for me to take my mask off. Um, I felt comfortable doing so. So I went ahead and took it off. I do get uh, my company provides COVID tests. So I get tested once or twice a week. Um, so I felt comfortable doing so. And I did that. But I think that new taking off the mask is going to be the 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 new almost handshake of greeting of hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to have a conversation with you. Uh, of course, that's always, always going to stay on your level of comfort and you have to stay comfortable. Um, one of the things that um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'm going to digress a little bit on, on being comfortable. Um, yeah. So uh, you have to be within your own skin. You have, if, if not, if taking off that mask makes you uncomfortable, then you need to leave that mask on or you're not going to show the best version of yourself. All right. And uh, an example of this was when I was pitching Walmart and they brought in, um, they brought in this new vice president who's going to be my boss or whatever. And I had gotten the appointment with, uh, with Walmart in Bentonville, Arkansas, and we were going to show them our radio controlled cars. And uh, leading up to it for a week, um, this guy kept wanting me to stick to a, a specific script of what he wanted me to say. And I couldn't do it. I mean, I could blame it on my tongue tied or whatever, but I just could not stick to his script. And it was getting him very, very frustrated with me. And finally, I said, look, this call is really no different than if I'm pitching a mom and pop toy store. This is going to be the same exact thing. And that's how I want to treat it. So we got down to Bentonville, Arkansas, and he was going to do the background of our, our of our company, which could show that we could actually meet their supply demands. And then I was going to get into the actual product. And this so-called expert that was going to teach me how to sell takes out these little three by five cards to start reading a prepared statement. And as he's reading it, he starts to shake. His hands are shaking violently and visibly. You can see how nervous he is. And this was a big wake-up call to me, Kristen, because if he makes a mistake on that prepared speech, then all of a sudden he's got to go back and fix it. But the other mistake he was making was he was counting the commission he was going to get off of that sale. He was counting what his career was going to look like after getting the toys into Walmart and what that would do for his career. He was seeing all of this end game before they even said yes. And as a result, he was nervous. He looked he looked like a mess, to be honest with you. And I, I took my prepared thing away and I just pitched Walmart like a regular customer. I had some uh, demonstrations of toys with batteries in them and I let them start driving them around the room. And, and uh, he said, hey, he reached out to me and said, I, I'm going to need to meet you in Hong Kong. And I said, you know, I'm going to do the exact same presentation that I just did here today. And he said, yeah, I, that's OK. We're going to need to do it. I'll meet you in Hong Kong. We set up an appointment. By then, the guy that had the shaky hands and the cards was gone, and um, I was able to close Walmart and get the, the products in there. So you got to be comfortable. Got to be in yeah. your skin. 
Okay. So what about uh, like hand stuff? Like if there's like somebody's like rubbing their neck, scratching their face, stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, the classic uh, pain in the neck, you know, somebody takes their palm and they put it to the back of their, their neck uh, with some frustration there. That is pain in the neck. And that's a big sign that you need to look for. If you're talking to somebody, you either hit something that is a pain in the neck to them, a feature that you can solve, or you yourself are the pain in the neck. Um, the pain in the neck can also be very similar to a scratch in the neck. And the scratch of the neck is a little bit more of um, just maybe not agreeing with you. It, it's not as powerful as a pain in the neck, but they might just not be agreeing with you on there. And you need to, at that point, ask them, ask them for that check and balance. You know, do you have a question? Is there something, you know, do you have a concern over this part? And again, with the check and balance, whenever I go to the barber and they shave my neck, I'm itchy for a week later. So, you know, it could just be that they just got a haircut and, and, um, and are itchy on the back of the neck. The other thing is with the hands is that it, when they go over their mouth, all right, when they, anything that's going over their mouth, they want to say something and they're not saying, mm -hmm. all right. And, um, and, or, or they have a secret that they don't want to say. So any kind of mouth barrier is something that, you know, you want to, you want to ask a question about that. Am I rambling too long? Is there, you know, do you have something that you want to say? Is there opinion or whatever? But you want to go into that. Why is your hand on your mouth and, and try to get them to talk about that? Okay. Um, how about a little bit of eye contact information? Yeah, the eye contact stuff is when you're re really good at the other stuff. Um, you can start exploring the eye contact. There's an initial flash that happens. And you can think of a flash as, you know, somebody, their eyebrows raise up and their eyes widen when they see you. Um, if you get an eye, you know, that flash in the face with the eyebrows raised up, that's somebody that's really excited to see you. Anything with the eyes takes, um, the other stuff has to be really, really um, second nature to you before you get into the eyes. That would be something to talk more about in, in a professional level. Um, you know, they get into like eyes dilating and stuff like that. So. Oh yeah. No, I was talking more like eye contact, like. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. Eye contact. You want to maintain, uh, you want to maintain the eye contact, but not to the level where you're being creepy. So, you know, if you got a product that you're looking at, or if you got something you want to look away as you're discussing the product, but you don't want to be creepy, but you do want to maintain eye contact so that you show that you're listening to that person and you want to be engaging in that person. Um, just don't do it too much and, and definitely don't do it too little. Okay. Um, so we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago too, but uh, when it comes to leadership um, and managing employees, how did your knowledge of body language cues help you? Yeah, you know, I think in management, the best thing that you can do is when you see that your employee is having a bad day is to go ahead and ask them what's wrong. Um, we spend so much time with our employees that we need to to ask them about it and put it out there. Um, so, you know, don't be afraid of that confrontation. You know, my dad, um, well, you know, when, back when I was in retail, I was getting promoted. Um, I was complaining about a coworker of mine and the person said, you know, not everybody's a Jason, not everybody's a Kristen. If everybody was a Kristen, then, you know, the world would be a much better place. But 
they're not. Not everybody's going to be a Christian. And the second part of that is a person that's complaining a lot, they only complain because they care. So often, I think in business, we're in a hurry to get rid of people that complain about their job or complain about things. But they're complaining because they actually would like to see an improvement. They'd like to see the business succeed and they'd like themselves to succeed. So be open to that. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so as far as building business relationships and networking, uh, do you think body language awareness is helpful when it comes to that too, as opposed to like straight up sales? Yeah. You know, my biggest weakness a lot of times is when you go into, um, well, I got one coming up. I might have to go to Maine and there's a, a Maine association. There's a, I know a few agents in there, but a lot often, oftentimes I'll walk into a room and I don't know anybody. And for those there, when you look in the network, there's some things that you can do to help yourself out. One of them is if you wear something, you know, up here in New England, we're Patriots fans. So if we have a Patriots logo or Patriots pin or a Red Sox tie or something, somebody's more likely to approach you and say, hey, did you see the Sox game last night? You can also um, kind of see sometimes where it happens a lot at a trade show. You'll see somebody that's at a booth and you'll see their feet are pointed away from the booth. They're trying to get away from that person and that person's just not letting them get away. Um, if it's a friend of mine, I might walk up to him and, and say, hey, how are you doing today? And I kind of help them out and then say, hey, it looked like you wanted to get away from them. Um, but I, I think building rapport and making people feel uncomfortable about themselves is something that you can use all of these connect techniques for. Okay. Um, what advice would you give to people when it comes to their businesses? Yeah, I would, I'd have to say that you have to ask for the order, you know, so many times that we're, we're buddy, buddy with the client and we don't want to, we don't want to ask for it. Um, insurance agents are actually, um, the, the, the producer themselves, the sales guy behind the insurance policy is notorious for wanting to be your buddy and give you the policy, but they won't ask for the payment. And um, that's something actually that my current company helps out with, but you want to ask for the order. They understand that you're in sales and that you're going to do it. Even if they say no, and this is something that Ralph had taught me way back is even if they say no, you have to ask, there might be a chance with my current company, there's no volume commitment. So sometimes I might say, Hey, look, you seem happy with who you have, but we don't have any volume commitments. I can ask you a couple of questions, getting you in the system. And then if you have a need for us, we're available for you. But you have to ask for the order and, and oftentimes you'll be surprised for it, but always, always ask. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so tell us how we can best support you. What are you working on? Can we help spread the word for you about anything? Yeah, you know, really um, right now, I, I looked at LinkedIn as my board of directors. Um, my uncle had once told me that you need to have a, an outstanding board of directors and, and, um, for right now, Kristen, you'd probably be my social media board of directors. And if I had a question about that, I'd want to reach out to you. I, I have a kid that's going off to college. I have an insurance agent who just went through that experience and I will give her a call if I have any questions regarding college. I have a person on finance. I have a person on career. I want to be your, on your board of directors and I'd like other people to be on mine. So just hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, it's Jason McCarty. Uh, there's no Y in Jason and there's no N or H in McCarty. So it's just Jason McCarty and I'm the only uh, Jason McCarty. That's a sales executive. You should be able to find me. Very cool. Okay. Um, any last thoughts before we wrap up? 
Um, if I could, I'd like to just talk about um, when I do my presentations, I usually end on the Tomorrow Man theory. Mm -hmm. And the Tomorrow Man theory, if you think of this, um, well, last night I was filling my coffee pot for today. And a lot of people do that. You fill your coffee pot the night before. So when you wake up, you might even set the timer. So when you wake up, fresh pot of coffee is there for you. And that's looking out for your tomorrow man. And the whole tomorrow man theory goes like this. Today, we're going to go through our lives and we're going to do what we're going to do. And then maybe come five o'clock, we still didn't get to the point where we're going to prepare for our meeting that we have tomorrow. We might drive home and say, oh, I'll, I'll fill up the car on the way into work. Um, you might have a messy desk, you know, and that's how you go today. And as you go to bed and you say, ah, I'll leave that for tomorrow. So as we go to bed and we lay down and this gets kind of drastic, but think of it this way, you lay down, you die. That day is over. And then you wake up the new day and you're reborn, you're today, man. And you start looking around at the mess that yesterday, man, has left you. It's left you a messy desk. He left you, you know, an appointment you're not prepared for. Um, you get in your car, you don't have gas and you're running late and you think to yourself, why does this dude keep doing this to me every day? I got to clean up his mess and it becomes like a behavior, almost, you know, a negative behavior, almost like we've all worked with an employee or an associate who, you know, you can't count on, you can't count on them to come through for you. If you give them something to do, you know, you're probably going to have to do it yourself. And that, in essence, could end up being you yourself. So those of us that follow the tomorrow man theory, we look out for our tomorrow man like they are a child, a loved one, somebody that we really want to succeed, again, like a child. And so we might fill the coffee pot the night before. Instead of having two glasses of wine, maybe we'll have one so we don't wake up the next day in a headache. We'll clean the desk. We'll gas the car up on the way home. So that when tomorrow man wakes up, they're prepared to take on the day. They feel good about the day and they're actually looking forward to it. It's um, something that I've used as a New Year's resolution from time to time. The beautiful thing about the tomorrow man theory is if if you blow it one day, you can pick it up the next. Yep. No, it's great. Take care of yourself in the future. That's, I mean, like some of it is, is just don't procrastinate as much either, but it's, I like that perspective yeah. of it. You're... Um, taking care of yourself. And that's something too, that I've, I've heard recently where it's like, if, if you have a problem, maybe with like negative self-talk or those kinds of things, it's like, would you ever talk to a friend or a family member or someone you love in that way? Then why in God's name, would you talk to yourself like that? Um, Cause it's damaging to you. So take care of yourself and take care of your tomorrow, exactly. man. I like it. Very cool. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, yeah, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. And um yeah, guys, reach out to Jason if you have any questions about well, anything really sales related, but specifically body language and all that kind of stuff. He's a wizard when it comes to all of those things. So thank you and thanks for stopping by.